Ladies and gentlemen, this is Multi New Media episode 26 for the week of November 16, 2015. Sorry, we're running about half a day, maybe a full day behind in releasing this episode, but I have been having a great time over the past week or two attempting my first half marathon, which I did complete, but the course was shortened for weather, so still haven't done my first full mar- half marathon. But I've also been trying to change pace and enjoy this rather hot Florida fall. We have cooled off a couple of degrees, but that's about it. Today, it's just going to be me on the show. No co-hosts, no guests, but I will have with me a topic that is near and dear to my heart and I think to yours as well, and that is one of technological ecosystem immersion. Now, even though it's near and dear to our hearts, we're probably asking what the hell is technological ecosystem immersion? And let's be honest, we probably should be asking that question. One of the issues is that immersion, right? We understand technology, we understand what an ecosystem is, but immersion is going to be defined by different people in different ways. For some, immersion is simply going to mean whether you choose an Android or an iOS phone. For others, it's going to amount to how your devices skew towards one of these operating systems. So let's take the total number of devices that you have, add them all up, count which ones are in the Android category, which are in Windows, which are in the Apple uh, family of operating systems, and whoever wins, wins, right? That's how some people will define your immersion within these ecosystems. Still, for others, this immersion is simply going to be based on your preference of operating system No matter what you're using, maybe you're using something for work, but it's not your primary choice, so that won't count. Now, the bottom line is that we're looking at our three main operating system-defined ecosystems, Android, Windows, and then the Apple family of operating systems, including OS X and iOS. For us today, we'll remain business-centric, focusing on the supply side of the ecosystems, such as OEMs, original equipment manufacturers. And we'll also be business-centric from the vantage point of mid-size to large businesses that must adopt one, two, or all three of these ecosystems. I'll use part of today, sure, to bellyache personally about my own concerns for the ecosystem I have myself and my business entrenched within, and we could do that for any of the ecosystems. And, 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 And this is still valuable because first-hand experience is key to almost everything in this life, but mostly... Beyond belly aching, we're going to get down to the nitty gritty. We're going to get serious with it, and we'll talk about what makes an ecosystem and how these ecosystems should interact and even compete or cooperate. Now, I'll I'll frame my topics within three sections of today's show. First, we'll begin with an in the news segment to make sure we're all up to speed with how our technology ecosystems are doing. Second, we'll focus on the development side of things and discuss the applications and devices available within the various ecosystems, as well as how they should be developed and deployed. Now, we won't get too technical with this. We're going to talk at, you know, 30,000 feet um, cruising altitude. So um, not a lot of technical jargon today, just business uh, good common sense. Uh, And in doing this, we'll get a view of the internal landscape within each of these ecosystems. In the third segment, we'll look at how our ecosystems will move forward in the future and who exactly has the correct approach for dealing with the external environment. Uh, We'll primarily look at Alphabet, which is the parent company of Google. Uh, We'll look at Apple, and we'll look at Microsoft for this portion and cover external challenges to these ecosystems. So first, 
let's go ahead and get started with the In the News segment so we're all on the same page when it comes to the current status of our ecosystems, and then we'll move forward from there. This is In the News. High-profile stories from business, technology, science, and media. We will look at what has happened recently, as well as what we expect to happen in the near future. According to Comscore's data for September 2015, Apple remains the most successful device provider in the United States. In fact, the Comscore data indicates that Apple held 43.6% of U.S. smartphone subscriber market share as of September, and it took the next three manufacturers combined to come close to equaling that share. Samsung, LG, and Motorola, in that order, and all Android device manufacturers have a combined share in the United States of 41.8% almost 2% off from what Apple has alone. It takes adding the fifth largest U.S. phone maker, HTC, also an Android provider, to get Android devices over the share held by Apple alone. Now, this isn't bad for Android, as it remains the number one operating system by volume in both the United States and internationally when all markets are considered. In the United States, Android makes up a robust 52.3% of all smartphones adopted, whereas Apple's 43.6% figure from before, it remains stable because Apple is the only company that makes iOS devices. Microsoft Windows, which is over 90% maintained in the phone space by Microsoft's acquired Lumia line, which they got from part of that partial Nokia acquisition from a few years ago, uh, again, 90% Uh, Microsoft owns their own Windows Phone market share because of that acquisition. Now, the remaining change, not even quite 10%, comes from the device manufacturers previously attributed to Android devices earlier, you know, Samsung, LG, Motorola, etc. But the amount of Windows devices that these manufacturers are creating is not substantial enough uh, to impact the calculation for their Android market share. Now, how can this be so? Well, let's look at it this way. Microsoft only commands 2.9% of the U.S. smartphone market. Over 90% of that uh, is made up of devices that come directly from Microsoft. Internationally, we see that Android makes up between 75 and 80% market share in the global space. Windows remains between 2 and 3%, just like in the United States, and Apple makes up the bulk of the remainder of that pie, but not all, holding just under 15%. The remaining market share falls between Tizen, BlackBerry, Firefox, and other contenders that are either past prime or relatively new and that haven't had any traction. So why not just talk about Android and iOS in this episode? Well, computing isn't just mobile. Tablets fall mostly under the mobile category, except in the space for Microsoft Windows, where tablets tend to be more like tiny laptops or desktop devices instead of big phones. When we open up to discuss laptops, two-in-ones, hybrids, convertibles, and desktops, well, Microsoft Windows has roughly 91% market share. Apple's OS X has under 8%. 
and all of Linux, including Google's Chrome OS and Android operating systems when put onto laptops, Chromebooks, desktops, all of that, and, and, and every other type of Linux included, is between 1% and 1.5% on a good day. So, mobile is mobile. Desktops are desktops. But computing is both of these and everything in between. You want your apps and services to work everywhere you are, and that creates a bit of a nightmare for developers, especially when dealing with some of these use cases that are not as popular, such as Chrome OS or Android on a desktop, or Windows on a mobile phone. So let's move on to segment two and talk about the development aspects of our technological ecosystems. So here in segment two, we're looking at the developmental side of ecosystems. And I'm going to start with this question. Should the applications that are made for our ecosystems, should they be native, web apps, or hybrid? Now, I know this seems a little bit off topic and a bit of a tangent, but I'll make it come full circle a little bit later with two case studies that really delve into why does this matter to the adoption of ecosystems. So first, let's get back to the native web and hybrid applications and go through what they are. So a native application is a, an application that runs on a particular device. It is coded to run on a particular device. And oftentimes we can simplify this. I know the developers in the audience may yell and scream at me and some of the co-hosts that we have here may do the same. But I'm going to be a little bit oversimplistic and state that if you are writing a C-sharp application on Microsoft Windows, you're writing a native application. You're writing in a language that is meant to work with that particular operating system and getting access to the APIs of that operating system in order to make the application you want. Bottom line, we're talking about an application that is made specifically for the device or the operating system or the type of device. Meanwhile, if you wanted to take that same hypothetical Windows application made in C-sharp and make it work on OS X or iOS, you would end up rewriting it in Objective-C, right? And that would make the native application for that Apple line of devices. And of course, you'd make it differently two times, one for uh, iOS and once for OS X, which we'll explore that a little bit later in our, in our last segment. So that's kind of the idea of what a native app is. Now, a web application is an application, but it's based on the framework of the web. Now, what, is, what does that mean, right? If, if you know, you're a web developer, you know all of, all of the different frameworks that are out there, and, and one of the most common being the LAMP architecture, Linux, Apache, MySQL, and PHP. Now, no, that's not the most popular for development. That's not the most popular for enterprise anymore, but it is the most common, or at least at my last check, still the most common architecture stack out there. Now, for those of us who aren't web developers, none of that matters. What we mean here is that a web application is based on technologies that come from the web. No matter what the platform is, no matter what the, the software and the systems powering that behind the scenes are, we use web technologies and build an application. And that application, just like you might experience Gmail or Office 365 in the browser, that can be wrapped in a shell, an application shell. So that application that can then work on 
uh, again, let's go through our list. It can work on Windows. It can work on iOS. It can work on OS X. It can work on Android, right? It's just a web application that is in a particular shell to make that app work as an application instead of having to go through the browser. All right, and that, that just seems like a wonderful idea, but then we get the concept of these hybrid apps, which I'm going to spare you some time and say I know you can figure that out because it's a combination of the two. All right, so what's the drawback? Uh, since we are focusing primarily on native apps and web apps, I'm not going to go into things like ported applications. I'm not going to go too far into hybrid applications like I alluded to. So if we focus on native and web apps alone, what is the drawback of each? All right, so for native applications, here's the thing. Coding is more tech technically challenging, right? If you're going to make something for Windows, you really need to know C Sharp or C++. Now, if we jump over to Android, sure, you could do something in C++, but it's probably a little bit more beneficial. Some of the Android developers out there could correct me if I'm wrong. I'm Primarily, you're going to be using Java, and then you jump over to OS X or iOS, and you're primarily going to be using Objective-C. Again, on any of these platforms, you can use C++. But that's where we get to the, the point that coding is technically more challenging. Which is simpler, Objective-C or C-Sharp, uh, either of those compared to C++. Well, C++ is going to be, for most developers, more technically challenging. There are more things to control. And having more things to control is the trade-off for having more control. So we get this impression that having a native application may enable you to do a little bit more, and it absolutely does in most cases, but getting to that point is more technically challenging. Now, web applications, the drawback here is that we're using web technologies, and, and normally that's a good thing, but these web technologies may not be specifically specced for your type of application that you're trying to uh, build, um, develop, or deliver. So think about this for a moment. If you're trying to build a game, we all know that games exist in browser. Uh, we, we all probably have a few that we really like, and, and we're talking about HTML5 games that aren't using plugins and that type of stuff. But what's the frame rate of these games? Can it keep up with, let's say, some type of console game or a desktop game where you're playing at 60 frames per second? The web's not really going to be able to do that. Now, I'm not just talking about games. What about music? Maybe you want to make an interactive music player. Uh, you, you can go online and search for all sorts of case studies of why companies are not making, um, not making music production software for certain platforms because of an underlying issue such as latency. Now, let's put all of this together. And what it means is that when we look at the drawback of web applications, we may be dealing with a platform, software, or framework stack. Um, I used that incorrectly. A platform stack, a, a software stack, or a framework. Uh, now that I got that correct, sorry about that. Uh, we're looking at these things, and they may not really be what you need, and they may not provide the type of responsiveness. They may not provide the type of interaction or feedback. Bottom line, when we get to the input and output of the application, what comes in and what's what's processed and then delivered out, it may not be specced exactly correct for your type of application. So what's the benefit of each of these type of, uh, types of applications? When we go back to native, let's do native first again. Um, one of the drawbacks was uh, the technical challenge from having to control so many different things. But that control is the benefit. You get to have your app do what you want it to do, and it can do it as well as it possibly can. 
as long as your development team has the skill and ability to make that happen, as long as they have the knowledge to work within that language, to work within that device, to work within that platform, to work with so on and so forth. Right? I think you got the point on that one. Now, on web applications, what's the benefit? A lower barrier barrier to entry is going to be the prime benefit for most companies, for most organizations. Uh, I, I know the thing that I'm going to say next is something that a lot of people are going to disagree with, but this is my opinion, and I want to I want to be transparent and state that before I say it. So here it is. This is my opinion that not everybody will hold. I think another benefit of web applications is that we get more standardization. Yes, I know that there is standardization within the native languages that we've been talking about, C-sharp, Objective-C, C++, uh, Java, right? I know that there's standardization, but with the web, there is just so much work going into how do we build better systems, how do we standardize, how do we make things work. This is the important key. Cross-device, cross-platform, cross-format. So, this whole thing started out of how do we make a website work correctly in browsers from multiple providers? Right? We can't just have a monopoly on who can provide a browser and, and extrapolate this forward and move it into the application world. And we can't just have a system where an application would work correct on one platform in one ecosystem. That's the benefit of um, of web applications, that once you put that web application within the pr- appropriate container for that ecosystem, for Android, for Microsoft, for whatever, once that app is in that container, which is going to be different for each ecosystem, but once it's there, it will work and it will work correctly. Now, is that always the case in practice? No. So I promised we'd come full circle, and I'd let you know why talking about native and web apps, and also by extension, hybrid apps and um, ported apps, which we're not going into. Uh, I, I promised we'd come full circle and and make it clear why they ma- matter to the immersion within an ecosystem. So let's look at two case studies. The first one, and remember, I did say I'm going to do a little bit of belly aching, and here it comes. The first of these case studies, we're going to look at app availability within Windows 10 Mobile. Remember, Windows 10 Mobile from the In the News segment is the ecosystem that has 2 to 3% market share in the U.S. and globally. Uh, it's not doing very well. Um, Windows Mobile, a predecessor to Windows Phone, right? So if we have Windows 10 Mobile, before that was Windows Phone 8, before that was Windows Phone 7, technically Windows Phone 7 series, uh, before that was Windows Mobile. Right? Windows Mobile was vastly popular. But when Apple came out with the iPhone, the simplified iOS interface just started to crash the market share. Um, Windows was impacted, Palm was impacted, BlackBerry was impacted, and Microsoft has had trouble regaining their footing ever since. But all of this time, for years and years and years, so we're talking about eight years now since the original iPhone came out, that's eight years of app development on other ecosystems that are not Windows. So what's happening with Windows 10 Mobile? If you look from a regular consumer point of view, and I know we're taking a business point of view here, but go consumer for a moment. If you take a view from the consumer's vantage point, imagine the hotels that you need applications for so that you can check in. Imagine the restaurants to make reservations or to look at a menu to fit your dietary needs. Your bank, right? Let's get a little more serious than hotels and restaurants, and let's talk about your bank. You need to be able to do your um, do your banking, pay your bills, check your account balances, all of these things 
increasingly we need to do in a mobile environment. And it's not just enough to check your bank account once a day anymore on the computer. We often find, whether it's because of security or whether it's because of a more active lifestyle, we need to be uh, we need to have our finger on the pulse of these things. What if these applications that you're so used to using on Android and iOS simply didn't exist anymore? Right? And that's what Windows 10 mobile users face every single day. The same was true for Windows Phone 8. The same was true for Windows Phone 7 series. And this is why that particular ecosystem, the Windows ecosystem in mobile specifically, has not been able to get traction and has not been able to grow over time. I'm not going to say that every single part of an ecosystem is about the applications and the services available within, but a damn good part of it is exactly that. Now, web applications still work, and I'm talking about, I'm not actually talking about apps that are web apps at this point. I'm talking about going into the browser and using applications on the web within the browser. That still works on Windows 10 Mobile, and as a Windows 10 Mobile user, I, I can say that that works fabulously. Uh, Microsoft, I'm sure, is absolutely thrilled about that because it gives a backup, right? If I can't, I'm just going to pick a company. I haven't stayed at a Hilton hotel in quite a while. But if I were staying at a Hilton hotel, I may not be able to get the app. Actually, on Windows, you can. Uh, but if I couldn't, I could go to Hilton.com or whatever the website is and log in, do whatever I need to do there, and everything would work just fine. Now, Microsoft's happy about that, of course, but so is Google. Google has been very, very vocal about pushing the web style of application, not only in browser, but also those that are contained uh, and then distrib distributed through app stores as applications themselves. One of the ironies here is that despite Google loving this style of application, they still don't support the Windows environment. They still don't support the Windows ecosystem. So um, you can get a Google app for a Windows 10 mobile device, but you can't get Blogger or AdSense or any, literally any other Google application at this particular point. Now, what does all of this mean? It means that if you have low market share, people are not going to, to develop for your ecosystem. That's at least what we see in not only in theory, but in practice right now. That's subject to change in the future, but it's what we're experiencing. And that means if you have an ecosystem that doesn't have large adoption, then you're going to have significant challenges in growing that market share in order to change that tide. You're almost stuck in a catch-22 at that point. So applications, whether they be native or web, isn't just a debate for us developers who say, oh, how should we build this thing? It's also a debate for the ecosystems themselves of determining what is going to be possible. Should I be able to have an application within my business to utilize it, and what happens if iOS is no longer the big thing in five or ten years, and that's where we've built our application? Should it become just another legacy application that we have to run in an emulator or put somewhere else, or have we learned enough over time to say, I'm going to build something that is device and platform agnostic, and that can work anywhere? Although, full, full disclosure here, it's perfectly fine to add in some special benefits to make it work best on one type of device. In fact, that's the second case study I want to look at here. So the second case study I want to look at to support why development is important in determining immersion within these ecosystems is that of using Office 365 on the new iPad Pro. So Apple openly promotes the ability to use Microsoft's Office products on the device. That's one of the selling points that Apple uses in this device. It's not their iWork software. They're really saying, hey, guess what? 
you can use Microsoft Office on this iPad Pro. But now we're looking at the other side of the coin. So one thing I didn't mention before that I, I just kind of assume most people know is that Windows 10 Mobile is Microsoft taking almost full-blown Windows, the regular Windows that runs on your desktop, and saying, okay, now let's make it work on your phone. Now let's make that work on your tablet. It's all one thing. On the other end, we have Apple, which still has a very clear divide between OS X and iOS. And their mobile strategy has been, let's take our small mobile devices and build them up into professional quality. So here's Apple openly promoting to use this professional software. But we may have almost as much of a mismatch as we do in the other case. So is it just as mismatched, in essence, to use a professional mobile device as it is to use a mobile professional device? Do we get the same type of issues? Well, no, not really the same type. We get a whole different host of issues. So let's take a look at this second case study and discuss what happens when you use Microsoft Office on the iPad Pro. Well, first of all, since the iPad Pro is really a scaled-up mobile device, there's no trackpad. There's no other pointing device except for touch. Kind of ironic coming from Apple, who's, who's very touch-adverse except for, you know, directly on mobile or tablets, but this is a professional-quality tablet. So this is mobile from the ground up. It's touch and it's a keyboard, and that's pretty much it. Now, that begs the question, is a professional-grade mobile device as good as a mobile-grade professional device? Now we're getting the setup for what we're going to move into after this case study in a little bit, which is the right vantage point. To, make a, to take a mobile device like Apple has done, basically an, uh, you know, an iPod Touch, which is very similar to an iPhone, which is the basis for the iPad, to take this thing and scale it up with a bigger screen, better inner workings, and then say it still runs this mobile operating system, and we give it a keyboard even though it still is, is touch uh, first, is that system of going up from mobile the same, better, or worse than going the other direction and saying, all right, well, we have a full desktop or a full laptop. How can we scale this thing down into a smaller form factor? So let's go ahead and start working towards that final segment. And I'll end with this in our second case study of using Office on the Apple's um, iPad Pro. Office 365 isn't the same as using Office on OS X or Windows. Now, those are fairly standardized, so we can't blame Microsoft anymore for saying, oh, well, you only put the real version on Windows, or there's some preference towards Windows. Microsoft has placed the real, full, standardized version of Office uh, software titles pretty much equally on Windows and OS X. There are some differences. There are some titles that aren't available, but when we talk about the core, Word, Excel, PowerPoint, those are practically identical, at least in user interface, on both platforms. So in this case, when you're using an iPad Pro, you're not actually using those full Microsoft Office applications. You're using the touch-first applications. Now, that's clearly on Apple. Why? Because they're doing the inverse of what we just saw with Microsoft that I've been saying kind of over and over now. It's this difference between a professional-quality mobile device or a mobile-quality professional device. Now, that's a sticky subject, so let's take a quick break, and then we'll jump right back into it.
right, so now for segment three. This is where I promised we talk about the adoption and the future-focused implications of adopting these ecosystems. Now, I don't want to do something where I put a big reveal at the end. So I'm just going to go ahead and kind of get to the point early on in this segment and then follow up later. But we we just finished talking about a couple of different case studies and we had a, a, a very great question of should we make professional mobile devices or should we make mobile professional devices? Now, I'm not going to harp on that question, but it's it's central to almost everything we're talking about. Now, here's a question um, that we need to ask. If we're a business... And we need to adopt these technologies. How do we approach this need? Do we select one of the ecosystems and say, you know what, I'm going to lock myself in? I mean, recently Steve Wozniak even said that he doesn't like being tied into the Apple ecosystem despite being one of the founders of Apple. But should we pick one ecosystem for convenience if we're a business? What about as a consumer? Do we completely go the different uh, different direction and say, you know what, I'm going to integrate everything. I'm going to hedge my bets and have everything around despite the potential cost and complexity. Speaking of cost, though, I'm going to break the decision-making for us as business people down into a couple of key areas. Price is going to be the first but not necessarily the most important. Uh, So we have price, adoption, deployment, training, and support. Price, training, and support are really easy to understand. Uh, everyone's got a good basis of those. Adoption and deployment, uh, this is where I'm going to have to be really clear because I'm even going to skew the definition of these just a little bit. I'm going to say that adoption includes the process of making the decision to go with a particular ecosystem, a particular piece of software, a particular device. Right, So that's what I'm going to say adoption is, of making that decision, whether that's your purchasing department, working with your IT department, and doing a limited run to see if something will work, and ultimately making that decision. All right, so let's just jump in first with price. If we look at price, you're going to be able to spend as much money as you want to spend in any of these ecosystems. There is no company out there that's going to say, you know what, we're not going to let you spend that much. So if we take a look at Apple, if we take a look at Android devices, no matter the manufacturer that they're from, and if we take a look at Microsoft devices, whether Microsoft is actually making them or whether it's a third-party OEM similar to how Android is run, any of these companies are going to let you spend as much as you want with some of the high-end mobile devices um, really coming in around 700 800 maybe dollars, depending on uh, the type of device you're looking at. Uh, six to seven hundred if you're looking at a phone. Seven to eight hundred if you're looking at a phablet. Now, if you're looking at tablets, you're going to have an entire range. Uh, for instance, in the uh, Apple ecosystem, the cheapest tablet is um, an iPad Mini. Uh, it's a couple generations ago. It's about what two hundred fifty dollars. Right, and you're going to run that all the way up into where in the Apple ecosystem you're uh, about to get into MacBooks. Uh, in the Android ecosystem, you are getting into some mid-range Chromebooks, and in Windows, to where you have a high-end Surface device that's more than a production PC that you may purchase. So we're talking a range from about, you know, on on Android maybe forty, fifty, a hundred dollars on the low end, all the way up to if you have a top-end spec device from Apple, uh, a top-end Chromebook that's almost like an an, an Ultrabook would be for Windows. Uh, or a Surface Pro, you could be one $2,000 all said and done. Now, again, at the $2,000 mark, we, we can almost exclude some of those tablets because that's going to be a Microsoft Surface Pro with 16 gigs of RAM and one of the top i7 processors 
I mean, just overkill for what most of us need. So let's really redefine this range and let's cut out some of the consumer tablets that are 40 50 60 75 $100. And let's say for, for real business use, your uh, your your laptop, excuse me, your tablet cost would be somewhere between $200 and $1,000. Right? And that's going to be true for any of these ecosystems. Now, when it comes to adoption, right, because we're talking about the list of price, adoption, deployment, training, and support. When it comes to adoption, this is the tricky one unless you're going to go with the big two, which are Android. Again, Android has just under or right around 80% global market share in the mobile space. Uh, slightly less in tablet. iOS, on the other hand, uh, right there, almost 50% of the U.S. market, not quite. We were, we were talking earlier, what, 43 44%? About 14 15% of the international market. But these are the two that almost any is a single type of software, especially if it's companion software, companion software that would go with a traditional desktop application, you can get applications for these devices. In almost any single use case, we're going to see that iOS and Android are the easiest to adopt at this particular point, no matter how many of the OEMs, and no matter, especially Microsoft, would hate to admit that. Now, yes, Microsoft with Windows has over 90% of the desktop and laptop market, but when we look at this mobile-first world, and I'm actually using, I'm directly taking Microsoft's term from in there, mobile-first. They say mobile first, cloud first. When we look at that mobile first word, adoption is going to be so easy on iOS and Android and so difficult on Windows or any of the other um, competitors vying for third. Windows solidly has third. Um, in fact, one, one thing I should point out here, another reason we're talking about Windows is if we do take all devices in aggregate, Windows does have a larger adoption than all of Apple devices combined. So when we look at the actual stacking of the ecosystems, number one is Android globally. If we take all Android devices together, number two is Windows. If we take all Windows devices together, if you're wondering why Microsoft is so prominent here, that's why they really are the second largest ecosystem. They're just not doing that well in mobile. And that's the, the, the sort of the difficulty. But let's say you wanted some of that office automation. Let's say you wanted um, printing applications so your employees don't have to be at computers in order to send things to printers. Let's say you need some of these productivity tools. They are available on Windows um, to some degree. It's just not, you're not going to have everything that's brown, brand new, late-breaking. Um, this really factors, I think, a little bit more into the consumer conversation. If you're a consumer, Especially if you're a young consumer, you probably want things like Snapchat that aren't on Windows. They are intentionally only on mobile ecosystems for Android and iOS. So adoption is not as big of a deal as we hear it uh, commonly made out to be because in business, most everything we're looking for is available on all three of our top ecosystems, Android, Windows, and the Apple line of operating systems. And furthermore, when those tools are available as a web app that can run on any device, that makes this a complete no-brainer, as, as long as you can get online. That opens up Chrome OS. That opens up Tizen. That opens up a Firefox OS. That opens up so many different options. The key to adoption, though, is getting your hands on a couple of devices. Work between your procurement, your purchasing, uh, and on the other side, your IT folks, and then pick an operations area. And have them demo, have them try out what it is you're you're proposing that you implement because the feedback you're going to get there. I've worked in corporate purchasing and let, let me tell you, sometimes 
as a buyer, you look and say, oh, we can save so much money with this product and look at the great support it has, which we'll talk about in a moment. And then you actually put it in the hands of the people who need to do that particular task, that particular job, and it fails miserably. Now, one of the reasons is something else we may look at and uh, we will look at in a little bit training, but as for adoption for businesses, it's not, boy, I know a lot of people are going to disagree with me here, but it's not as complex as it is uh, if we were consumers trying to determine which phone to buy. In terms of deployment, actually deploying, um, now we've made the decision to purchase and adopt. And remember, I'm using my skewed definition of adoption and deployment. Normally, deployment is is a part of adoption. But if we break deployment out and say, okay, now we're physically pushing these buttons, and we uh, we we actually order the devices, we we distribute them throughout the organization, we uh, install the software on them, so on and so forth. R- really, you have a benefit on the Windows side. All of these devices, uh, any of these ecosystems, rather, have management tools. Um, but one of the biggest uh, challenges that companies face is what happens when you need to deploy all of these or or more accurately, what happens when you let your employees choose? If you create platform and device and ecosystem independent applications that people can use on their own device, and let's say you build in as a part of salary compensation uh, the requirement that says, okay, we're paying you you know, X, Y, or Z dollars more, but we expect you to have a mobile phone that you're bringing to work, this this BY, BYOD, bring your own device um, type of situation, which is increasingly common, especially with work from home and remote workers. If you do those types of things, deployment is, is increasingly difficult because now you're having to use your support line to manage three different ecosystems. Sometimes more if you have a, a really technically astute person who's trying something out. Maybe they want Ubuntu. Maybe they want Firefox. Maybe I mean, the list goes on and on. The big question has to be, as a company, do we force the adoption, right? This is why deployment's part of adoption. But if we're breaking it out, do we make people lock into a particular ecosystem? Well, you're not going to really be able to do that. I mean, some companies could get away with it, but you're not truly going to be able to do that if you're expecting the, the employee to bring their own device. So then your budget goes up and you have to buy all these devices, which isn't all that big of a deal. We already do that with tablets. We do that with laptops. We do that with desktops, of course. I mean, when's the last time you've asked an employee to bring a desktop in? I don't think the IRS, if you're in the United States, would like you doing that very much. But that's the idea. Do we want to support these things? Now, there's a whole other side of the coin, and I may be rambling a little bit here, but uh, this is important. There's this whole other side of the coin where some people say, you know what, damn it, we're providing all of the equipment, but I want everything. I want access to everything. I want my employees, if they want to use Apple, they can use Apple. If they want to use Windows, they can use Windows. If they want to use Android, I'll let them do that. I just want people to do what it is they're comfortable doing. Now, that is also a very high cost. I mean, we see companies like IBM who say they're taking out Windows workstations and putting in all MacBooks. And they say how much money they're saving. Right? This goes back to the price element. They talk about how much money they're... they're we, we could almost make this a, another case study in this episode. They talk about how much money they're saving, but we're talking about saving money from technically astute people who probably already fairly under, uh, uh, fairly well understood how OSX works, and, 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 right, we can list this up, and, and we look at these types of case studies where people say, yeah, I made these switches, and look at all this efficiency we're getting, but, but really, the only efficiency 
Maybe I'll change my mind on this later. I haven't yet. I've been looking for a reason to. The only efficiency you're going to get from technology is productivity. Productivity absolutely increases ROI, but I doubt that you're going to get an ROI increase from anything else other than productivity when we talk about deploying technology. So get it out of your head that deploying a particular ecosystem is going to make you all of this money. It's not. The only way that's going to follow through is if you increase the productivity of your employees' work. What do you what do you think, business owners? Get in touch with me. Let me know. But I, I I tell you, from my business, from the universities and colleges that I work with, I don't think that people are going to produce a lower quality output in business just because of the ecosystem they're using on their devices. So I am going to toss it out and say that deployment has to do with productivity. Now, how does this all manifest itself? Well, adoption, deployment, they're all dependent upon training. Why would we force people to use one particular ecosystem. Well, maybe that's the easiest to use, and we'd probably turn to Apple for that. But then again, what if we have people that, that are professional people like me? I, I grew up with Windows, and I'm, I'm more than happy to abandon it. However, I actually do believe I'm more productive within that environment. The way the window management works, where the settings are, all of these things that we commonly pick on on every single operating system, we're all different people. One system may make sense to you. A completely different system makes sense to me. So when we talk about training now, do we train for three different ecosystems or do we train for one? Now, as a corporate trainer, trust me, I want you to get more training. Not only because it's good for me financially, but because it's very important to the organization. Right? But how much are you willing to spend? You want to train your employees to use three different ecosystems or is it enough just to say, you know what? Here, let's have a web app in a browser and let's put that web app in a wrapper so it works on every mobile device and then say, here's how to use this application. Or would you rather say, okay, employees, now we're going to send you to Windows training and tomorrow it's going to be to OSX training and the next day it's going to be for iOS training and, and you get the point. I think the more we can simplify our, our ecosystem decisions, the more we can go back to that productivity and have much better results in business. And finally, support. Again, uh, that case study I was mentioning before, IBM. IBM says they're saving a lot of money by switching to Apple. I don't know. I'd believe it more. Uh, when I hear those stories, I would believe them more if I didn't already know that the companies were working together. In this case, I know that IBM had already committed to helping Apple build productivity tools. And I know that there is some type of financial and there's some type of uh, information exchange that's happening there. And then months later, all of a sudden, IBM says, yeah, and look, we're saving all this money doing that. I, I just, I don't know. I'm not going to lie, I don't believe it. So as you, as a midsize, small business, maybe even uh, large business, you're looking at what do you adopt. I'm going to say, if you still, right, from all of these concerns, if you haven't been able to latch onto one or two as the primary concerns for your organization, if you're still just a whirlwind lost out there saying, I, this isn't helping me, I don't know what to do, I'm going to give you a little bit of advice, and I'm going to say, pick based on training. The less training, I'm, sh I'm shooting myself in the foot as a corporate trainer, the less training you have to provide to an employee in order for them to be more productive in the job that you are paying them to do, the better ROI you're going to get out of procuring a system. I don't care if that system is a $2,000 system like an Apple MacBook when, when you could acquire an $800 technologically equivalent system that runs something else like Android or Windows. If that's the case, if that's what that employee knows, then think how much money you're going to save not just $1,200 on the device, you're going to get so much more productivity out of that employee. 
I know this firsthand. I have organizations that have me work within different ecosystems. Um, and, and I'm in all three ecosystems. There are certain things I prefer to do in each. However, when I'm asked to work in an ecosystem that I don't prefer for a task, I know firsthand my speed is drastically reduced despite the fact that I know how to use all three of these main ecosystems extremely well. If you are lost in making this business decision, go to training as the primary aspect of why you're going to make this decision and how you're going to make this decision. What do you need to train your people to do? Go out there to the floor, go out there to the front lines and ask them, what do you know, what do you like, and furthermore, when they tell you they love their iPhone, don't necessarily believe them. Put a couple of examples in front of them. Give them the proposed mock-up of the software you're looking at on the device you're looking at. Hand them an Android, hand them an iOS, somehow disguise them so they can't figure out what's what. I don't know, put them behind a wooden block so they can't see the device itself. And then say, which of these makes more sense? We're looking for productivity. And you can get more productivity if you can decline your training amount and use what the employees already know. So I think let's go ahead and bring this to a conclusion. If we're looking at being locked into a technological ecosystem, and I'll admit, for, despite using all three ecosystems, for the most part, I am very locked into Windows because it is most productive to me. We are looking for the key that will enable us and allow us to be productive as businesses. Who do we choose and why do we choose them? If you get more work done in one operating system than another, choose it. Don't impose upon your employees, unless you absolutely have a solid reason for doing so, what they use or why they use it. You can control, you can manage in a corporate setting any of these devices. When it comes to picking which ecosystem you go with, pick based on productivity for the individual or for the task. We go back to that idea of a native application versus a web application versus a hybrid application, and it comes much more down to a, a deeper developer issue of how does your software work and are you using an internet-enabled, cloud-backed infrastructure. Right? PayPal wouldn't work if you had to have a different login for every single device, nor would any of our gaming software, nor would anything else. Where we go in the future is to where everything is more cloud-centric more mobile-centric. So which one of these companies has the winning vision? Well, here's where I'm going to let you down. I don't know. I do personally think that Microsoft is outpacing Apple a little bit. I do believe, for business at least, it is a better idea to make a mobile version of a professional device than it is to make a professional version of a mobile device. Again, I don't want to promote or take or detract rather from any of these companies, any of these ecosystems, any of these devices. But it's it's a question we have to ask right now. All right, so how do we conclude? If your business needs to adopt some mobile technology or any technology and you're concerned about which ecosystem you should belong to, don't worry about it. And I know that seems like bad advice, but go get a couple of different devices of different types. Talk to providers and say, we need to do some tests. Your, your purchasing people know how to do that. Give them a call. Say, how do we get some test units in? Trust me, this happens in companies every single day. You call up the supplier. You say, I need to test a couple units. We need to do this test. We, you're either willing to pay for it or not. Your, your size as a business, your clout as a business is going to determine whether people are willing to work with you on that level. Plus, their, uh, their motivation to get their product into your business is going to play into that. So you get a couple of test devices. 
You put them in the hands of the operations people who need to do the daily actions every single moment, every single day in order to make your business work. You get the feedback data. You get the telemetry data. You get information about how often does software crash, who's most productive, uh, in which ecosystem. You get some qualitative and quantitative feedback. How did the employees like the operating system? How did they like the interface of the program? That's the first step. Try everything out. I'm going to leave you with that. So go ahead, get to it. Get on the phone. Get a couple of test devices. See what software is out there uh, in order to try out. Get this data back from your operations people and see what's going to work for your organization. And don't forget about us. Right? We want to know how things work out. Here at Multi New Media, we love to say that this particular episode may be ending, but the conversation is just beginning. And in this episode, episode 26, that is absolutely true. So email us feedback at multinewmedia.com or go to multinewmedia.com and check out the episode 26 page and there will be a comment section at the bottom of that page. We would love to hear how you are currently handling technological adoption of these ecosystems, what your tests are that you're doing in order to determine what's viable and what's not, and what determinations you've made. What have you actually ended up adopting because of trying out different software, trying out different devices. Is there an ecosystem that works best for your business or your industry or not? We would love to have these conversations with you in text, uh, over the phone, uh, here on the show. Let us know. So I'm going to leave with that. Thank you all for listening. And until next time, take care. <laughs>